Good morning, everyone. We ask everyone, please come in and take your seat so we can begin our study in God's Word, beginning at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for you and for your word and helping us to be able to study your word, to glean a better understanding of how we are to live our lives as your children here on this earth. We thank you so much, Lord, that is not confusing and that is easy for us to go through. But there are some things, Lord, at times that are a little confusing to us, but we're so grateful that you don't leave us hanging and that we have each other to help understand what your word says. Please bless us now as we delve into it, Lord, that our minds be focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So great to be with you all here this morning, here uh, in person uh, for me and not up on the, on the screen. Um, Heather was telling me last week that uh, she she thought I was here and until she uh, recognized that I was up on the screen. That, that made me feel good. That made me feel like, well, that meant y'all felt like I was here. Well, at least my voice was. So um, we're in chapter 11 of First Kings. And last week we ended with how Solomon, uh, he had these vassal kings or these kings that were just in place that were really not kings. He was the king and they were just uh, working for him. Uh, but he had great tr- trade with them. As we, as we go into chapter 11, what we see is Solomon's down, downfall or as he starts to go downhill, uh, his apostasy and his decline. And what we notice first in the first three verses, as we begin talking about first Kings, is the polygamy that was going on, uh, especially with him. Uh, Solomon married or, or and had women from the from forbidden peoples that God told the Israelites not to intermarry with. Uh, as you read there, you see that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now these wives. It says that he clung to these in love, like in, in married love. Uh, and in fact, he promoted these wives to be princesses, or some of them at least were. They were elevated to wives and therefore were called princesses, but not necessarily from a royal, um, because of royal birth. And what we also see after we begin to delve into chapter 11 at least it's verses four through eight is all the idolatry that that went on. Now consider Solomon; he's older now. He's not that that younger man that we recently read about. And remember, when we're, when we're reading the Bible and we're reading the scriptures, you know, a lot of times it would be like um, God created heavens and the earth and everything in it, and people, uh, Adam and Eve, in six days, and God rested from His creation on day seven, and then on day eight. Uh, Adam and Eve sin. That is not, we don't know that that happened like that. We just know that there was, there had, there may have been some time in between. But, you know, so when we read the scriptures, we can't, can't, we have need to consider that, um, all that Solomon did as he was building the temple and his house and his, uh, his wife's house or, or at least Pharaoh's daughter's house, 
uh, all didn't happen at one time. But in verse 4, we see that Solomon, Solomon's wives turned his heart. They constantly wanted or want, wanted for their idols. Uh, they, he went after, after uh, them in worship. In uh, verse 5 it says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Remember that Solomon is supposed to be God's man. God has taken care of him, has blessed him, has given him wisdom. Yet, because of all these women that he were he was involved with, they turned his heart. The writer uses another phrase for actual worship, and that is served. Uh, in chapter 16, chapter 22, and also 2 Kings chapter 16. The thing about Solomon is that um, we can look at him and say, well, but he, he, Solomon was a, a king that God allowed to be king. He was, as I said, Solomon's, I mean, God's man. But Solomon accepted what his wives and his concubines uh, wanted. His acceptance of his wives pleading and then building the pieces, uh, places of worship is counted as idolatry. He didn't condemn it. So because he didn't condemn, that meant that he accepted it. And it's, if we can relate that uh, to today and how if we don't condemn sin, we're not calling sin for what it is, then we accept it. Look, look at James chapter 1. And I thank you for having your Bibles and where they're, you know, the hard copy or electronic. But it's not for me, it's for you. It would be great that you would read ahead. You know we're going to reread in First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles. So um, you can have the spoilers already available to you. First, excuse me, in James chapter 1, starting at verse 14, it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So, what we see, at least what I can see there in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 with Solomon, is that he hated sin, then he uh, disliked sin, then he tolerated it, then he embraced it, just as uh, James chapter 1 alludes to we can be the same way as a Christian if we um, our minds should change because of scripture because of what God's word says and because that scripture is working on our mind we should hate sin just like God does when we are opposed to sin we still uh, we will not indulge in alcoholic beverages social or otherwise we will not allow ourselves to be put in temp- um, tempting situations, nor will we curse or let euphemisms for God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit come out of our mouths. We will not expose or, or bring attention to parts of our bodies, causing not only you um, to sin, but tempt others to do so with first their minds and then possibly by their actions. And if I can say this, say this a little further... We, we hate drinking. We hate 
we hate hate it when people are standing around us and cursing and using God's word. We we hate it when we're tempted by the opposite sex because of what they have or don't have on. But then we, as time goes on, we just, well, I don't like that they drink or that they curse or don't wear what they should. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's them. It's not me. You know, I, I, I can, as long as it's not me, God's taking care of me. Then it's, well, it's all right what they do. Long as it's not me, I can be around it. It doesn't bother me. Then it's, well, what's wrong with me having a little taste of something when I'm out with my friends? I mean, I just want to be accepted. I, I, I don't use this language when I'm around my Christian friends. So that's all right. And, and, it's not my fault because he's attracted to me and what I have on. He should mind his own business. We, be, we, we tolerate sin. We embrace it. And that's what we see Solomon doing. Let's not be like Solomon in that sense. Let's hate sin just like God hates sin. Because Solomon didn't hate sin enough. We, well, if you haven't read through First Kings or don't know anything about it, we're going to get to that. We will see his downfall. So in verses 9 through 13, back in First, first Kings, we see uh, Solomon's rejection. Let's see. Let's read verses 9 through 13. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after God's. That's little g, guys. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the, for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the, out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which uh, which I have chosen. Now we see that the reason that God rejected Solomon is because he had not kept God's commandments. And there were two exceptions. It wasn't going to be during Solomon's time and um, one tribe was going to be left to rule. And the second exception was for David's sake and Jerusalem's sake. And as I was re, uh, studying more over this last night and then just now as I'm, as I'm reading it, God didn't, one of the reasons why God um, did not allow it to happen in Solomon's time was because of David. David is dead. He's long gone. And yet, because of David, I'm not going to do this. I was just thinking, what if we did the same thing? What if we continue to be the people that God will have us to be and God blesses others because of you, because of me, when we're gone? What made me think about this, actually, Mike, schoolmaker, you said this many, many, many weeks ago, many months ago during the um, men's Bible class when we were talking about prayer and say we're praying, we're praying now. We're praying about something, about someone or situation. And maybe we may not even 
know what happens or how God's going to answer that prayer because we're dead. That doesn't limit God from still answering that prayer. You understand what I'm saying? And if you are continuing to be that woman, that man of God, God may bless others because of what you did or what you said. I'm not making that up. I'm looking at this and I'm saying David was a man after God's own heart, according to the scripture. And because of David, even though his son has done what he's done, he's still blessing his people because of David, who's dead. Solomon has some opponents in verses 14 through 40 that you can read about. But we are going to read verses 14 through 16 and have some comments there. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was the descendant of the king in Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain. After he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel, until he had cut down every male in Edom. Now Edom was uh, defeated by David and Joab. And as I'm sitting here thinking, too, again, the actions that you do, the things that you do in the past sometimes can come back and hunt you or hunt your your folks. Edom is another name for, um, yeah, I just lost it. (laughs) Uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau. Um, And we know what happened between Esau and Jacob. Uh, And his people, their their families are still being affected by the things that they did towards one another. Where the Lord had raised up Hadad, as we read. And Hadad grew up. He married and had a son, and he was the favorite of Pharaoh. He married one of Pharaoh's daughters. But once he had learned that David and Joab were dead, he wanted to, uh, he wanted his own rule, even though Pharaoh wants him to stay. Pharaoh's like, well, why do you want to leave? I mean, I've given you everything. He's like, yeah, but I, I still, please let me go. Because he had in mind what he was going to go and do. God also raised up another opponent for Solomon. His name was Raisin in verse 23. Raisin had deserted, had had a dasar with his troops while David was winning the war. Uh, Raisin accepted Damascus and ruled Syria from there. Verse 25 says he was an adversary of Israel all the days, all the days of Solomon. Because besides the trouble that Hadad caused, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. In verse. Let's, let's go ahead and read through verse thirty-one. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite from Zerada, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Let me stop here right quick. I don't know if I I made it clear in the last few weeks about the mothers that are being named but there's a reason why mothers are named uh, from time to time from these different kings and these different rulers it's because of their background and what they um th- those mothers who they serve think about the 700 wives and the 300 concubines that solomon had they all had different um idols that they worship which just like us when we we're god is not an idol we are worshiping God, and because we believe in God and we have followed him and trying to obey him, that should govern how we live our lives. Well, these idols govern how these uh, women live their lives. 
And they would teach their children, their sons, to live in the same way. And so when we, when we hear about these different wives, sometimes you can, um, sometimes you can research them. Sometimes it's just a very small mention of them. But if it says where they're from, you can go back and study. Well, what about those people? You know, uh, of that nation? What did they do? Uh, Tony had taught us when we were reading, um, when we were talking about Jonah, not this time, but the last time he he was speaking on Jonah, he helped us realize that the Ninevites, um, I hope I'm saying that right, they worship a fish god. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. I just, you know, just putting that, that little bit in there. And there are things that they did that were contrary to following God. So consider that when we're reading about the different uh, mothers, because that used to confuse me. Why are you mentioning why does it matter what the mother's name was if if you say nothing else about her? But you go back and you learn about her, maybe. Whose mother's name was Zerurah in verse 26, a widow who rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the millo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces and he said to Jeroboam take for yourself ten pieces for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes uh, to you. The tearing of the cloth, it was already in Jehovah's mind that the kingdom is to be torn from Solomon. The same promise is made to Jeroboam uh, as was made to David and Solomon in verse 38 says there, then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. This is no different. We, we keep saying the same thing over and over, don't we, from the, um, when God puts a ruler in place. He tells them the same thing. The affliction of David's line will not last forever. And when we get to verse 40, we see that uh, Solomon wants to kill Jeroboam. And where does Jeroboam run to? Egypt. Seems like Egypt is the place to go when you want to hide from the um, kings that God has put in place. Verses 41 through 43 in chapter 11, as we get to the end there, we see that Solomon reigned 40 years and he and he died and he was buried in Jerusalem and Solomon's son Rehoboam uh, reigns in his place so as we begin chapter 12 uh, chapter 12 through 16 chapter 16 we see the early kings of the divided uh, monarchy uh, so the kingdom has been intact all this time and now is, is going to be divided in verse 1, it says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Well, he went to Ephraim for safety. 
That's the, the reason why he was in Ephraim. But why not come to Jerusalem where they should have come? That's, that's a question that um, should be on our minds. Jeroboam was called from Egypt and is already leading the ten tribes. They did not want to make Rehoboam king, so they were looking for an occasion to make Jeroboam king and succeed. Taxes are the answer for leverage. Can we believe they would have accepted lower taxes from Rehoboam? What if, I mean, Rehoboam is the king. And say he lowered the taxes. You think they still would have followed Rehoboam? No, because I admit the people already had in mind that we want Jeroboam to be king. This is who God allowed to be king, but we want this. Does that not sound familiar like to today? God wants us to do this, but I want to do that because it feels better. It looks better. I want to do this. God will forgive us later on because he's a forgiving God. But I want to do this no matter what God wants. That never goes well. Anytime we want to do something that's other than what God wants us to do, it never it never goes well. Rehoboam has by now made many aware of the promise he received through uh, Ahijah the prophet. Look at verses 5 through 11 in chapter 12. So he said to them, depart for three days and come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father, Solomon, while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? I think he was wise in asking the elders, those who were older and wiser. And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. This, to me, is servant leadership. I know you are in charge, Rehoboam, but you need to serve the people. Help them see that you are for them. You will get down in the dirt with them. They will still follow you. Serve the people. Help them see that you're not above them. Though you are, you're not beneath, um, they're not beneath you. And I think that is really, really great advice for any leader today. But in verse 8, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown, who had grown up with him and who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Excuse me, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father uh, put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. You know what I, I don't understand? Is that these kings, they get put in place, and they have these chronicle, chronicle, these scribes that chronicle all the things that they say and do, right? And they're, they're rolled up in, in the scroll, and they put in a little cubby hole somewhere, somewhere, or they put in the house somewhere. And then from time to time, uh, like um, King Xerxes, or, or his other name, it's hard to say, uh, but... King, King, uh, what did you say? Ash, Ash, yeah, Ash, Asherers. 
King Xerxes in um, Esther. He said he can't sleep, and so he has the scribe come and read, what, you know, what happened during. Just read to me the things that happened during the day. Why do these kings not do this? Or at least why don't we see them being smart enough to go back and say, hey, somebody else gave advice like this before. Or someone else had friends around them that were, you know, that were kings and uh, they were, they were a king. They had friends around them. They made the wrong decisions based off their friends. This man here made a disastrous decision by listening to his friends who probably would have told him, like our parents used to tell us, if your friends tell you to jump off the bridge, you're going to follow them. And then you think about it. Well, maybe that's kind of seem like that's where this is coming from. Um, that he has in his mind. I don't want to listen to what the old, older ones say. I want to listen to what my contemporaries say. In verse, verses 12 through 15, his chums, his friends, provide him with courage. And he provides Israel with the excuse they were looking for. Two wrongs never did and never uh, does make it right. But even between two strong wills and two sections of the country, God can and still will work his will among nations and among men. We see arrogance in verse 16 and all the Jews, regardless of tribe, who lived in Judah and Benjamin were ruled by Rehoboam. And it appears Rehoboam saw his mistake and sends his tribute or tax, uh, his tax man to arbitrate his tax man i was thinking that we don't get tax people to come to our house anymore at least i I don't think so but i remember i remember being a kid and the tax man would come to to the um to the church building he was a member of the church member of the the body i thought he was just and he 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 is and was a great person i i truly love um this brother uh he was a great inspiration um, for me i didn't know people didn't like tax people you know, the tax man the, the, in, in the city, the tax agent. Um, Ray Baum sent the tax man to the people. And that's, that's not a good, that, that didn't make any sense. And they killed the tax man, verse um, 19. Ray Baum must flee or he must die. None but the tribe of Judah includes all Israelites in verse 20. And Judah and Benjamin. Israel, which is Ephraim had ten tribes, and Judah, which belongs to David, has two tribes. Now, we need to start, like, remembering this, because as we go on through Kings and Chronicles, it can get confusing, because the names kind of sound the same, but they're different kings, and their tribes are separate. And I believe next week I'm going to show you how you can, in your uh, margins of your Bible and your notes if you're taking any, how you can keep them separated because we're going to go back and forth to from uh, Israel to Judah and it's going to, it's just going to sound so confusing but we, we'll, we'll have a way to hopefully keep them separated. Verse 21, we see that there are 180,000 warriors to, to subdue Israel. Israel belongs to Ephraim. There are 10 tribes in um there are ten tribes in, in Ephraim, or Israel, and there are two tribes in Judah. Shimei was sent to stop Judah by telling all, by telling that this renting, but not the rebellion, was from Jehovah. When we read Second Chronicles 11, 1 through 4, we get a, a, a more explanation of that, a detailed explanation. 
God and his wisdom prevailed. In verses 22 through 24, it says, But the word of God came to Shimei, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You should not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Again, God always prevails. And I believe that um, there is so much that that's said here about God prevailing. When we do what he says to do, well, he's going to win anyway. But when we go against him, we will always lose. God will always win, no matter what. No matter what everyone's doing wrong, his will will still be done. But we will lose if we go against him. When we go against him. So Jeroboam selects Shechem as the capital city. He fortified it. And then in verse 26, it says, And Jeroboam said to his, in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, uh, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked uh, advice. He made two cows of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods of Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. I still am trying to think about God's people. During this time, most things were told orally. Maybe there were some, uh, I know that the law was written down. And I'm sure that there, there has been told many times over. Just like when we were kids, things that happened in our families' lives. We may hear the same story you know, over and over and over again. The story just seems to get better as you get older, right? But I am sure they heard the story of, remember when our our grandparents, great-grandparents, our ancestors came out of Egypt and Moses was up on the mountain, what our, what our family did, how they made that calf, and then Moses came off the mountain and broke those tablets and he was mad at the people and he melted the, the, the calf down that Aaron made and turned it into dust and made them drink it. Yeah, we should never do that again. Two calves. Because he didn't want anyone to go down there to worship. And he put one here and one here. So you, you can have convenience and say that this calf, these calves are what brought you out of Egypt. Well, he was making religion easy. The same thing that happens today. People try to make religion easy. Let's Let's make it so that you're comfortable serving God. We don't want you to be uncomfortable. We don't want to say the wrong things to you because that might make you stop serving me. I mean, God. See what I did there? It's, it's serving me and not God. It should be always about serving the true God. So when we get to verse 29, we see that Bethel is actually um, in Benjamin's territory. And you have to go back to Joshua chapter 18 when he was dividing the, the land between the people and see that. Dan in verse 29 is the northern edge of the kingdom. 
So Bethel and Dan are where, where the uh, calves are at. This was a sin. In verse 30, it says, Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. The new priesthood that is not authorized by God is set up. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter eleven. Second Chronicle Second Chronicles chapter eleven. And look at verse thirteen. And from all the territories the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem for Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places for the demons and the calf idols which he had made from every class of the Lord's people from all the people. He changed the feast of ingatherings from the seventh month and the fifteenth day to the eighth month and the fifteenth day. Their grains were harvested 30 days later in the north, but this was no reason to violate the law. Um, you know, depending on where you live in, in, the, in the country or in the world, um, well, when you plant seeds, you turn to the back of the seed packet, unless you're like an expert farmer, and it tells you on the back, hey, don't plant these down in this region until this month, and they will harvest, you can harvest them at this time. And the further north you go, you know, you have to plant late, earlier or later or something like that, and you harvest earlier or later. That was the same during this time, but that doesn't mean that they had a right to change um, the pattern that God set up. We cannot change the pattern, the worship pattern that God set up, no matter where we are. So no matter where we are in the world, it doesn't matter what the local customs are. If God said, we worship on the first day of the week. We worship on the first day of the week. And we, all the, all the things that we do during worship, it, when we take up the Lord's Supper, we can't because we live in, uh, we live in XYZ, this country or this state, they use, uh, orange juice instead of, uh, fr- um, grape juice, but we'll do what they do because it makes it easier. That's not acceptable to God. Would you agree? I mean, God has said it in his word. This doesn't change no matter where you're at. So we need to follow what God's word is saying. And we see that they changed their worship. But not all the people were happy with Jeroboam's changes. The faithful to God um, stayed with him. And you can see that in Second Chronicles uh, 11, again, 16 through 17. Now, we see that God rejects Jeroboam and his false religion in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall... Uh, shall be turned on you, excuse me, burnt on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Now, Josiah, we don't even hear about him until 330 30 years later in Second Kings chapter 23. 
verses 15 through 16, the sign named and given um, is proof of the prophecy. This is written down. And so later on, it shouldn't be a surprise that Josiah is being born and these things happen. Jeroboam would now truly put his kingdom above Jehovah's authority. And, Je- and God acted immediately. The sign is fulfilled and Jeroboam recognizes it, recognizes it in verse 6 and respects Jehovah's power. Jer- Jeroboam used another means of distraction, bribery and compromise. He refused um, his refusal is based on God's specific uh, specific commands. Then we see a treachery of an old prophet in verses 11 through 32, which we won't have time to read all those verses. But looking at verse 11 of chapter 13, now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. That they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. Now, in verse 14, we see he went after the man of God and found him sitting under the oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. The old prophet wanted him to come to his house, maybe because he was guilty for not rebuking Jeroboam himself. Maybe he wanted fellowship with like mine. Maybe he wanted to learn more about what Jehovah, um, what, what Jehovah said. We don't know. We don't know why he got all excited about going to get this prophet. But God had already told his other prophet, you will not go by back the same way and you will not eat or drink anything in this land so he he had he gave the same refusal that he had given before as you if you read before in verses 18 through 19 we see that the older prophet lied to him and because he lied to him the question we should be asking then is why did the younger prophet not go to jehovah for confirmation maybe well he's a man of god too he's a prophet and prophets wouldn't lie to each other, so maybe. We don't know. We don't know. All I know is he should have followed what God said. The old prophet receives a revelation in verses 20 through 22. It condemns the younger prophet for disobedience. It forces the truth out of the older prophet's own mouth. And the prophet, excuse me, the prophecy is fulfilled very quickly. Neither animal acted according to nature. And what I'm talking about is verse 22, excuse me, 23, where it says, So it was after he had eaten bread and he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. It just, it just stood there. That's not normal. But that's... That's God allowing his prophecy and what he said to come true. News travels fast, especially for a miracle. Uh, recovery and burial of the body in the old prophet's own grave as we see in verses 27 through 30. The old prophet wants to be honored by being buried with a true, a true prophet of God. Now this incident with the prophets clearly shows God does not interfere with man's free choice, but God will use him to further his own cause. 
Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't be doing. That God, as I said before, his will will be done. And he will do it even if the person is not a willing partner of God's. Sometimes, like I'm thinking about Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that we often speak about during Moses' time. Even though Pharaoh did not want to do what God had him uh, wanted him to do, God's will still was done and his people were let go. Well, as we close here in chapter 13, verses 33 through 34, we see that anybody can be a priest. According to the king, even the king can be a priest. That's against what God's word says. The consequences of Jeroboam's sins are to be visited upon him and his children. We read in verses 33 through 34. Now, I ask you and encourage you to read the book, read God's word. Uh, we will be starting in verses uh, in chapter 14 next week, and we will we will get through, Lord willing, we'll get through chapter 16, or at least the, the end of 16 and beginning of 17. What we will see in lesson five next week is that there's a lot of repetition, but that's why we are discussing it in the way that we are. This is when we start seeing. Um, the king, sir, this is the king that um, is now king, and this is what he did. This is how he served, and this is how he died. We'll see that over and over and over again. But where we may get confused is where? Is it in Israel or is it in Judah? And that's what I hope to help us um, see as we we begin to read about uh, finishing up the, the reign and death of Jeroboam. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we're grateful for this time that we've had this morning to learn more about your word. And Lord, what we see over and over and over again is that <coughs> excuse me, you want us to serve you and you only. That has never changed from the beginning of time even un- until now. Help us, Lord, to do what's right. Help us to call sin what sin is. Help us to hate it like you hate it, Lord. Help us not to just dislike it or tolerate it and definitely not embrace it, Lord. Help us now as we uh, end our time and study in Bible study and prepare ourselves to worship you, which is an honor to be able to do so, Lord God, to be able to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed. Thank you.